Well, good morning. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles, if you have one, to Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can open up to page 949. That's uh, the part of Romans 15 that will be in this morning. It's good to see all of you. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving and the long weekend. I know we have a lot of uh, members who are traveling this weekend. I know we have a lot of incoming family who are visiting some of our members who might be here with us this morning. It's good to have you. Um, after the Thanksgiving Eve service this past Wednesday night, which was a great opportunity just to hear a lot of you stand up and reflect and uh, share what you're grateful for. Um, after that, we were able to get up to New Hampshire for a couple days to spend uh, some time with my brother and his family. Uh, it was good. It was good to be away. It, it felt very, you know, being in New England for Thanksgiving. It's my first time in New England for Thanksgiving. It felt very Thanksgiving-y uh, and just felt right kind of being up there. But uh, I came to find out that there is some controversy, uh, because of course there is, as to where the first Thanksgiving happened. And both Massachusetts and Virginia claim it. All right, so uh, if you did not know that, now you know, and now you have to choose what you think is the right one. Uh, it's just the, the way the rules work. So uh, I'm Team New England, but uh, somebody can correct me after the service. But, um, you know, as we, you know, even just after Pastor Ben just prayed, and we come off of Thanksgiving, and now we're heading right into Advent and into this, this time, this season, um, we certainly want to hold space for both the enjoyment of this season and the difficulty of this season. And one of the things that I think I've increasingly grown aware of, and you've just experienced in my own life too, the more I'm in pastoral ministry, is that that's not really um, an either-or for most people. That, that, that we are going to hold space for both. That, that maybe you feel pieces of both of those. It's just the enjoyment of the season, and yet a sense of um, weight and weightiness to the season that you find yourself having to kind of work through. And uh, to that end, um, Billy Goon, our communications coordinator, uh, she just wrote an article for our Substack blog called Finding Gratitude in Grief this past week. And it is an extremely helpful resource for anyone who's walking through a season of grief or knows someone who is. Um, and it's good for any time of year, but it's especially for those who are experiencing what she called a moment of firsts in your season of grief, the first Thanksgiving uh, the first Christmas, the first time you picked up the phone to text them and realize that they're not there. Um, and so, man, just such a helpful article that she wrote, and, and she was just vulnerable and transparent in her own life. And so you can find your way to our website under the resources tab. If you're not subscribed to our Substack uh, page, um, you can get directly to your email. But if you're not, you can go to our website, find under resources, our blog, and, and find that article. Read it, share it with somebody. Um, and grateful for her and for that as we're now able to now turn the page into this Advent season. And one of the many unique things about Advent is it's able to, it's a season that's able to hold the weight of both, of both the enjoyment of this time and the, oftentimes the weightiness and grief of this time. And we're going to do a four-week series leading up to Christmas called Waiting for Emmanuel. Waiting for Emmanuel. Uh, for those of you who may be unaware of what Advent is, Advent is from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means coming. And so the season of Advent in the church is a season of preparation for what is coming. And it's a season that the church has been observing for at least 1,500 years, which is pretty crazy when you think about it, that we're able to stand in tradition of what the church has been doing this time of year for at least, maybe more, 1,500 years and as we mentioned last week, but in case you were not here and missed it, we are handing out an Advent devotional to each household that we published this year at Grace Church. Uh, it contains daily devotions from December 1st to December 25th, all written by members of Grace Church. 
And so December 1st is this Friday. So we're going to begin together this Friday. If you did not get one last week, um, at the end of the service, we'll have people at all the exits uh, handing them out, one per household. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm not sure if I have permission to say this, but if you already got one last week and you know you want a second one to maybe hand to somebody or you want two within your house, you can get a second one. All right, that's the benefit of being the 9 a.m. We can say that at the 9 a.m. There might not be none left at the 11 a.m. Uh, but, but grab a second one um, and, and just would really encourage you to lean into this with us this year. Uh, starting Friday, think about how you're going to carve out a few minutes, either for yourself or if you want to do it as a family or as a couple, uh, maybe read it at breakfast or dinner or before bed together, um, let, let, that would work as well. Uh, let, let's do it together. I, I mean, I think this is going to be such an encouragement for us to be able to lean into this season. And um, another idea, if you do pick up an extra one, is that there's a missional aspect to this as well. As there's somebody in your life who maybe you know you're just trying to reach or trying to encourage or trying to disciple, uh, that you can hand this to and say, hey, let's do this together this December. And maybe, you know, be creative, but maybe text each day about that devotional or maybe once a week have a phone conversation about some of the readings. Uh, be creative in the way that you feel like you feel led. But maybe this is a missional opportunity for you to grab one, hand it to someone, and see what God does with that this December. So um, this year uh, for Advent, we're going to begin by talking about, as you saw in the video, hope. Hope. And I'll start this way. Um, one of the interesting things about where we're at in the world is that while we are very much in a post-Christian culture, we are not in a post-Christmas culture. That, that, that we're a culture that, that is increasingly post-Christian, but we're not becoming post-Christmas. Uh, and I'm not one of those people who are always looking to rail against the culture as to, like, why is it a cultural holiday? I'm not holding signs saying, keep Christ in Christmas. I'm not knocking you if that's your thing. I'm just telling you, that's not my thing. But I am more so just interested in the fact that our culture loves Christmas, seemingly more now than ever. And you can kind of put the banner on and call it the holidays, and I kind of get that. But there is this widespread desire to hold on tightly to December 25th. Um, the joy and the spirit and how everything kind of leads to this moment and, and, and to maintain that and to even grow that and lean into that, even while much of the culture has increasingly, again, ditched Christ as Savior. Keep Christmas as a holiday, ditch Christ as Savior. And so there's an opportunity for us in this season, again, my opinion, not to rail against that, but to lean into what um, a pastor in North Carolina called Tony Marita calls points of contact and points of contrast with non-believers. And, and this, this idea is a, is a great tool for Christians in terms of missional living, living your life on mission, to understand what are points of contact you have with non-believers and what are points of contrast? Uh, we, we have points of contact with all humans because we're all made in the image of God. What are those points of contact? And then to address the points of contrast where Christians are distinct from the rest of the world. And so the topic of hope kind of ushers us really into that idea of points of contact and points of contrast. Because starting with a point of contact, there is a universal need for hope. Everyone needs hope. It's almost a survival mechanism, like, like food and oxygen for your body. So, too, hope for your soul. And there's various hopes that people have in this season, a lot of which were kind of written up there as examples on, on the video that maybe you resonated with. Hope for a, a gift that you've been asking for. It's okay to admit that, that there's still a hope in you that you kind of get something. And, and maybe you're the kind of person that, like, drops subtle hints all throughout the year and expects your loved ones to exactly know what you need. 
Or maybe you're like, here's the link, here's the discount code, it'll be delivered by Friday. Uh, so whatever you are on that spectrum, there's a hope that we have in gift giving, gift receiving. There's hopes that we have for our families. Maybe hope that your gathering will not be riddled with tension this year. But there's also just hopes we have across all of life that tend to rise in this season. We need hope when facing a medical crisis in ourselves and a loved one. Hope when bankruptcy looms and financial uncertainty looms. Hope when just the unknown of the future feels crushing. Hope when we've lost our way and we know we've lost our way. We're not exactly sure how to get back. Hope when you've been deeply hurt by the actions of somebody you love. Hope when you're the one who deeply hurt someone you love. Hope when our soul aches. You see, there's a human need for hope. That's everybody. Those are points of contact. But then there are points of contrast for the people of God. That, that, that the world's hope this time of year is different from what I'll call Advent hope. And that, that this world kind of puts their hope in a season, right? There's this kind of like unspoken agreement that my hope's going to rise because like where we are in the calendar. And it's a kind of whimsical hope. It's a throw it at the stars hope. It's just kind of out there. And we, we, we hope that like uh, that, that life will change or things will happen because of the season we're in. And, and people will set their hearts on it even if they're not willing to really articulate that. But church, our hope is a confident expectation. Advent hope is a confident expectation. It is a certainty that is anchored in us that then begins to shape us and certainly direct us. And so we might hope for the same things as many of the same things that the rest of the world does, but our hopes are rooted in something deeper, something bigger. And so my question for you this morning as we begin our Advent series is not, do you have hope this morning? Because you sure do. But how hopeful are you? What's your honest answer to that question? How hopeful are you? Each year, our Advent sermon series are all aimed at the desire to prepare our hearts to, to cultivate the grounds of our soul, to prepare our hearts in this season, because we know that these next several weeks are filled with preparation. Man, you're just going to be preparing for four weeks. Preparing food, plans, parties, outfits, games, get-togethers. You're just going to be always planning. Hashtag always prepping. My question is, how are you preparing your heart? Are you leaving space in your day, in your mind, in your heart to actually think about that? And so here's the truth we're going to chew on this morning and then get into Romans 15. And we're going to have this up on the screen. Here's the kind of singular truth I want us to just think about and chew on. Advent tells us that our view of God will affect the hope we possess. Just take a moment. Our view of God will affect the hope we possess. And in order to dig into that, we're going to look at one verse this morning, Romans 15, 13. We'll show some context you know, throughout the sermon as to what was around it. But at this point in the, in the letter of Paul's um, uh, letter to the church at Rome, he's near the end. There's 16 chapters. We're in chapter 15. And now at this point, he's giving this practical application on how the church can live out their faith. 
And he is, particularly in this section, exhorting them to follow the example of Christ as a model for their lives. And that builds up to this kind of declaration in verse 13. If your Bibles are open, I want you to see it. It will also be on the screen. Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. All right, here's the work of preparation we're going to do this morning. I want to connect the beginning and the end of that verse. What's the pathway to get from the beginning to the end? We all want to get to the end. We all want to abound in hope. You want to be filled with hope. Of course you do. You want to live your life full of hope. How? How do we get there? In this one loaded verse, I think Paul provides the pathway. Here's the pathway that we're going to break them down one by one. Four stops. The God of hope. Second, the gift of faith. Third, the power of the Spirit. And then four, the fullness or abounding in hope. So let's go. Number one, first step on the path. How do you get there? Start with number one, the God of hope. Like we begin with fixing our eyes on God. It has to start there. Like, like true lasting hope is not found in the luck of your circumstances and just kind of hope it works out that might rise your hope. It's not bound in kind of your personality level. Are you more optimistic or are you more pessimistic? That's whether or not you're going to be hopeful. It's not bound in your skill or your gifting. Hope is found by beginning with this question. Who is God? Who is he? And while we know there's no one simple answer to that question, we also know that part of that answer is that our God is the God of hope. And in the Bible, small words make a big difference. Okay, Paul did not say he's a God with hope. He's not say he's a God who will give hope. No, he is the God of hope. Small words make a big difference. Meaning it is baked into who he is. He's the God of hope. And so our hope can be as high as God is eternal. Think about that. That your hope can be as high as God is eternal. And the birth of Jesus Christ is the surest sign of God's hopefulness. And and Paul kind of hints at that in this section of his letter. So if your Bibles are still open in Romans 15, look up at verse 8. When he's talking about, again, exhorting them how to live the Christian life based upon the example of Christ. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. That he became something. He took on flesh. He became a servant to the Jewish people. How? By becoming a Jewish person in the flesh. And, And so the height of our hope is not that God will give us something if you're good. But that he gave himself because he is good. Like, like, like it's not just some kind of glorified version of Santa Claus. That he will give you something if you're good. It's not the gospel. And so many are kind of, are, are, are just tricked into that mindset that i got to act this way, and if I act this way, then God's going to reward me with this. Surely he, he will. No, he doesn't give us something because we are good. He gives himself because he is good. And the reality of Christmas was and is still the shock of all of history. That God became like us so that we can become like him. 
And that's the incarnation, the God taking on flesh. It says, you don't find your way to God. Our God came to you. Okay, so in the Christmas season staple, Home Alone. Some of you already watch it this weekend. I can see it on your faces, all right? You're, you're already two rounds in. Uh, but some of you, you know it's part of your tradition. You're going to watch Home Alone at some point in the next four weeks, as you should. And you know that in Home Alone, Kevin's mom is stuck at the airport trying to get home, trying to get home to Kevin. But weather issues and fully booked flights keep her from getting there herself. And in the airport, her hopes of getting home in time to see Kevin in, in time for Christmas morning were fading until she meets Gus Polinski, the lead member of a traveling polka band, the Kenosha Kickers. Shout out to Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Much, once I married Rochelle, just became that more invested in Home Alone. And what did Gus do? To raise her hopes. He didn't just try to help her get a flight and go next to her at the, you know, the, at the, with the ticket agent and just try to kind of negotiate with her. He doesn't get her down and says, hypes her up to say, hey man, you're going to figure it out. You're an awesome mom. And awesome moms always find a way. You're going to find a way. No. He doesn't even help her brainstorm various ways she could get home. No, he says, I will personally get you there myself in a rented moving truck. This might be the only time in church this morning that Gus Polinski is compared to God. <laughs> but Jesus' birth is the bedrock evidence that our God is not the God of just help. He's not the God of hype. He's the God of hope. And he's going to get you there himself. Look down again, Romans 15. We looked at verse 8. Look down now, verse 12. Paul is still in this mindset of showing the example of Christ. And now he's quoting Isaiah, who says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And so in these verses leading up to the declaration that we read in verse 13, that God is the God of hope, he makes two references now to the incarnation. God taking on flesh he will become a servant to his people. He will come for the Gentiles. You heard Pastor Ben pray. Just Our hope is in the fact that God has brought down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And we see here in Romans 15, him just showing how the birth of Jesus Christ is the primary evidence that our God is the God of hope. Which leads to number two. What does God do? So who is God? He's the God of hope. Number two, what does God do? He gives the gift of faith. Verse 13 again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I want you to see who is the active agent in that process. And I want you to see the order of that process. It matters. God fills us. We believe in him. May the God of hope fill you in believing. The filling is not due to our goodness, it's due to his goodness. It's not due to our faithfulness, it's due to his faithfulness. He fills, we believe. He fills, we believe. That is the gift of faith. So guys, why do we give and receive presents on Christmas morning? 
Um, or for those of you who do it the wrong way on Christmas Eve, all right, that was a shot. I apologize, all right? But I'm just saying, I'm, I'm speaking for all the children in the world. There is nothing worse than getting a gift and then being told to go to bed an hour later, all right? So team Christmas morning, I'll leave it there. But we give gifts. Why do we give gifts? You say, well, in part because of the Christmas story, the wise men came, they gave gifts to Jesus, okay? But more than that, it's right in front of us. Because Jesus Christ is the ultimate gift given to us. That God sent him and with him the gift of faith. And so those who receive and understand what that means to receive that now freely give to others, willingly, abundantly, want to give because of what we have received. Whether or not you realize it, every time you give a gift on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, you are saying, I am giving to you in celebration of what God has given to us. Notably, himself. And through him, Paul makes reference in this verse, we receive it with what? Joy to the full and peace to the end through faith. This is what he fills us with in believing. Uh, those words, joy and peace, are two other Advent words we're going to see later in this series. Like, like Romans 15, 13, you didn't know it till now, is the ultimate Christmas verse. But faith in what? Faith in what? This is important because just as everyone has hope, everyone has faith. Faith is another point of contact you have with the rest of the world. Meaning everyone puts their deepest trust in something or someone for their ultimate purpose. It's not a matter whether if you have faith, it's what is your faith in? Who is your faith in? And the answer to that question for every single person on the earth is whatever that thing is or that person is that you find your ultimate purpose, your ultimate foundation. What is your deepest faith in? For the people of God, our faith is that a child was born. And as the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 in a dream, you shall call his name Jesus. For, because, for, he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew goes on to write that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the gift of faith. And the gift of faith supersedes your circumstances in a way that doesn't make you bury your head in the sand. I'm just going to bury my head in the sand no matter what's going on in my life. I'm just going to put my hands in my ears and just plug away and say, well, I have the gift of faith, and so it doesn't matter. It's not what we're called to do. But rather, it's too, It's more powerful than that. It's better than that. The gift of faith allows you to maintain hope, true hope, even as you grieve in a fallen world. All right, so this Friday is the Ridgewood Tree Lighting downtown. Friday, December 1st. And if we were to go down and we were to try to poll 100 people at the Ridgewood Tree Lighting and ask, hey, how hopeful are you based upon what's going on in your life and what's going on in the world? How hopeful are you where we stand now in 2023? Uh, if you're a parent, how hopeful are you for your kids and their future? You're thinking 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. How hopeful are you of the world they are growing up in? My guess is the world's hopeful rating feels Low. 
There's a lot that feels hard. Again, I keep referencing Pastor Ben's prayer, but I, it, it's hard to know how to think about world conflicts. It just feels hard. The, the state of division, the, the disconnectedness of our culture, politically, uh, generationally, digitally. And, and maybe you sense what I kind of sense, that there's this kind of paralysis, that, paralysis that's setting in, in our lives, in our parenting, in our friendships. Just a, 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 a weariness. The gift of faith doesn't say those things aren't real because they are. But it does say those things aren't final because they're not. Hope is a confident expectation that the gift of faith unlocks a deeper level of joy and a deeper level of peace that doesn't rely on the hopeful rating of this world as we currently see it in this moment. It is our faith in something deeper, our faith in Emmanuel, God with us. And so that doesn't mean as a church we just withdraw from the world and just forget what's going on in the world. I think it actually shows you the opposite. It actually gives you the power to wake up in the morning and to enter into the world in these dark spaces, in this hopelessness, and navigate life with the light of Christ leading your path that not only will lead your path, but will draw others to it as well. Because people are always drawn to the light when it's dark. And so faith and hope are intimately correlated, even as they're distinct. Faith is believing. Hope is waiting patiently. Faith is believing. Hope is patient waiting. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right, we got to keep going. Our view of God will affect the hope we possess. That's what we're thinking about this morning. Our view of God will affect the hope we possess. Who is God? He is the God of hope. What does he do? He gives faith. Number three, how? How does he do it? Number three, by the power of the Spirit. Back to Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Spirit. Um, here's a question that many people will ask. Uh, many people, both without a church background and they're wrestling whether or not the truths of Christianity are true, I find that many even who grow up in a church at some point will ask this question. Not out of kind of trying to poke holes, but just trying to honest reflection and make sense of this in their minds. Um, and it relates to Christmas in this way. Here's the question. How is it that a baby who was born 2,000 years ago, who grew up and died on a wooden cross in the Roman Empire, what does that have to do with my life today? Who, who really just struggled to connect those dots? Again, not in a way that's trying to be difficult, but just genuinely asking, how does that affect my life here? How is it applied to me now? And they might lean in and ask, like, how is that actually real? How can you believe that's real? I'm living my life. I'm working. I'm navigating different relationships. Maybe I'm trying to raise a family. I'm just trying to get by. I'm trying to do what's good wherever I can, sure. I'm trying to enjoy life as I can, yes. And yeah, we all got ups and downs and hardships in life. No one has an easy life. We're all going through things. But, but like, how does all this, what you're talking about, have to do with my life? 
It's an honest question that many people ask. It's not a bad question. But the answer is the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, the birth of Jesus is merely a historical event that we can read about, like other historical events, but it won't change you. His death, his resurrection, certainly an interesting story. You gotta give him that. The fact that people claim he rises from the dead, interesting, but nothing transformative without the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is not just a doctrine, it's essential. Without it, you have nothing. Because the Trinity says, hang with me here, God the Father authors salvation. God the Son accomplishes salvation. And then vitally, God the Spirit applies salvation. Hang on to that. The Father authors, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. Through faith, being filled with joy and peace in believing that you are filled with faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he takes that atoning work of Jesus Christ, which happened on the cross 2,000 years ago, and it applies it to you in this way, that he died, not just historically, he died in your place. He forgives your sin. And he applies that work to the moment, to you, the moment you repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And what we know, not just from his word, but those who have been on this path have experienced is that his power to save is stronger than your power to sin. His strength is mightier than your resistance. And he transforms your will. And he transforms your affections. And he, he transforms your rebellion to open up your eyes to see both how great your sin is and how dangerous it is. And to see at the same time how great his love is for you. And this changes you. This is how. It restores you. And when this spirit indwells you, you have now what Peter describes as a living hope. A savior who overcomes the grave and rises from the dead. You have a living savior who now gives you a living hope. And you can live each day with not just a, a generic hopefulness, wish against the stars. Hope the universe works out in your favor. But you have a living hope, a breathing hope. So, we got one more question. We've seen who is God? He's the God of hope. Number two, what does God do? He fills us with the gift of faith. Number three, how does God do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, number four, why? Why does he do it? Number four, so that we may abound in hope. Let's put it all together now one last time. Romans 15, 13, what a verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Brothers and sisters, as we stand on the first Sunday of Advent, looking over the next four weeks, as you begin to prepare your heart this Advent season, I want you to know that your God's desire for you is not just to have hope, but to abound in hope. To live day by day in the fullness of hope. 
and, 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 and to know that your hope doesn't begin someday when you die and go to heaven. And that day you'll be filled with hope. No, that it's available to you, brothers and sisters, right here and right now. Are you open to that? How hopeful are you? The conviction is that your view of God will affect the hope you possess. So here's how I want to finish. I want to finish with applying this. I want to make sure we have some time for application here. How can you take on to this? What's this look like? I want to show some things that, sh- that give us the, the shape and the pattern of what this can look like in your life. What's it look like to abound in hope? Here's the thing. I'm going to make it general. You got to make it specific. I got to talk in generalities. You got to apply this to your heart. It's part of your preparation. I'm going to give four things, and there's probably two dozen. I'm going to give four for the sake of time. Here's how hope will help you. Number one, hope helps you deal with your own sin. You need it. Hope helps you deal with your own sin. Here's how. That when you are convicted of your actions and behaviors, that goes against God's plan and design for your life. You are free to confess, to confess that sin, because your hope is in his strength to forgive not your strength to obey. And so my hope reminds me it wasn't my power or my plan that saved me. I didn't figure that out. He came to me. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, once his spirit moves into the neighborhood, he doesn't move out. And so daily repentance now for the people of God, that's a practice of freedom for you, not shame. Hope helps you deal with your own sin. Number two, hope helps you forgive others' sin. Hope is what stirs a desire for forgiveness over and above the feelings you have for retaliation. And those feelings can be strong. That that when someone hurts you, uh, the sins against you, And in that moment, your soul aches because of it. You're not just wounded and move on, but it stops you in your tracks. It's in that moment that by the power of the Spirit in you, you're able to reach down into the emotional reservoir of hope within you to absorb the wrongdoing and choose to walk in love instead of bitterness and actually forgive them, not just verbally, but in your heart and actually love them and not begrudge them. Hope helps you forgive others' sin. Number three, I'll make it general. you got to make it specific. Hope helps you endure absence in this world. Hope helps you endure absence in this world. I know some of you, probably most of you, are feeling the weight of some kind of absence this morning in the things that you desire. Absence of marriage. Or if married, absence of real joy in your marriage. Absence of children. Absence of children who are walking in the faith. Absence of health, physical or mental Absence of financial security when you feel like everybody else has it. Why is it so hard for you? Why is it so hard for us? Absence of a clear path forward for your future. 
hope is what provides you to keep the strength to keep going. To wake up and do the next thing. To not give up. To walk by faith and not by sight. To walk in the experiential truth that God never says no without having a better yes in mind for you. And the ultimate yes, the best yes, is more of him. And more of his presence. Hope helps you endure absence in this world. And then lastly, hope helps you live on mission. Hope allows you to stop just staring at yourself and be able to get your eyes up. That your life is personal to you, yes, but it was never meant to be private. Uh, many of you are, 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 by God's grace, part of this church. That you're not just here just coming to church. You know that you are a part of this church. That this church is this community of faith-filled believers. And you're in fellowship with other believers who you navigate this fallen world with. Living with hope serves as an encouragement to strengthen one another's faith. That my hope is to build into you. And, and your hope is to build into me. And this is what community is. It's, it's realizing we are personal beings, but we're not private. So that happens in this church. But it also helps you to go live on mission where God sends you. That we leave this place and you go to spaces and places and people that God calls you to each day. And your life is constantly intersecting with other people's lives who see you and they hear from you. And having a hope, a living hope inside you allows you to put on display what it looks like to put your hope in something beyond this world. It's just fading. This world is fading, man. It's going. And when you're able to put on display that my hope is not anchored in this world, it's not going to rise and fall with the world's approval rating, but it's in another world that is eternal, then opportunities will arise for you to share that hope. You see, once you display that hope, God gives you opportunities to then share that hope and share the God of hope with others. And so your reservoir of hope within you is not just enough to fill you, but in an abundance of grace, it can pour over to others as well. This Advent season, as we are waiting for Emmanuel, the hope of God is our reality, then hope in God is our message. And our view of God will affect the hope we possess. And I want you to see how that's not just for you, but that's for the collateral benefit of all those around you. I was reading this past week that Advent is a season of minor chords. All right, brace yourselves. I'm about to make a music illustration as we close. This is unstable ground for me. I'm not even going to look at Ilya in the eye. <laughs> but Advent is a season of minor chords. Uh, in movies that uh, people will, will put in songs with major chords that they want you to feel upbeat and happy and, and, and kind of go along happy scenes. But they'll choose songs with minor chords if they want you to convey and feel the weight of heaviness or sadness. Church, because we serve the God of hope, especially in the Advent season, Christians can stand and sing both. Because when Christians sing minor chords, we recognize the weight and the burden of a fallen world. 
and the lump that gets in your throat when you go through trial. But we know beneath that, they are cords of anticipation and laced with hope amidst difficulty. And we're about to stand and sing one of them. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's a song in minor chords, you see. But it's a song that you can sing because we have a living hope. We have an Advent hope that on Christmas Day, the major chords will burst through, pointing us to the God in which our hope rests. The second verse is, O come thou day spring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so thankful for how you show us not just who you are, but the pathway to be reconciled to you. That you don't just give us a map that says, here's how we have to do and here's how we have to live and here's the words we have to say in order to appease you. But Father, we can respond to the fact that you came to us, that our Advent hope, our confident expectation is that you came to us and you're inviting us to come be with you. And so, Father, I pray that as we sing these songs of anticipation, as we now begin to live out this season preparing our hearts, that we truly would prepare them and draw near to you to see our hope rise and that we would put that on display for the world to see. Let it be true, Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.